This week's show is sponsored by Environments for Humans. Uh, they do conferences. They do uh, one coming up is the CSS Summit, and there's another one we're going to talk about later in the show that you're not going to want to miss. But for now, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to episode 22 of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast about front-end design development, all, you know, all your favorite things in the whole wide world. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hello, Hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. And Chris, this tell This week, us- it's not only about front-end design, it's going to be about fancy words on screens and paper, because our guest is Jessica Hish. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Yay. We just, I just saw Jessica in Vancouver, British Columbia, where we were at the Interlink Conference. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I was like, I got to hang out with that guy more. Mm. Just because I feel like the entire walk back to the hotel after like that night of entirely too much drinking was like hilarious. It, it really was. We have some jokes that we can't tell, otherwise we'll... R- oh my god, yes! I totally forgot about that! <laughs> you'll, you'll yeah, break, we have break to go PG. Explicit rating, kind of, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. oh well, next time. Maybe we'll have a secret outtakes. So, Jessica, you are a letterer. That's the right word, right? That is correct. That is um, 100% correct, actually. Yeah, because I don't know. I know the only reason I know the correct terminology is because during your presentation, you're like, that's different than like a font maker or whatever, a typographer perhaps, or what, what, what's, what's the lowdown on that? The lowdown is that the nerds in the type world are super into semantics. That is the, that is the real lowdown. Um, and... We are. Hey, I'm oh, sorry. Hey. I, I heard you say bonk and type bonk, which is amazing. <laughs> I got kicked off. Let's start that over. <laughs> hey, Jessica, what's the difference between a letterer and a typographer? Sure, sure. So a letterer is essentially an illustrator that draws words and phrases. Um, a typographer is someone that studies the uh, studies in and fine tunes the arrangement of type, and then type is actually um, it, it's it's you know the the stuff that you use on your computer like the fonts on your computer um, are software that contain a typeface which is the actual design. So fonts are sort of like the expression of like the the, the physical form of the idea of the typeface, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so yeah. uh, what, what's really sort of, what, what it really comes down to is people that are letterers um, make sort of bespoke custom one-off um, words and phrases and people that are type designers make these big systems that have to be reused and re-implemented by many people. 
Totally right. So if you letterize a super sweet A, it probably works really well in the context of that word, but like probably wouldn't be a great A to throw in a font or at least, you know, just as is because it's like oh, yeah, like specific to that word. Although the big thing is when you draw, when you draw a word, like say you draw a book cover um, and you write the word love on the book cover in a script, you can't like, I'm not drawing that to be rearranged. So if you f- decide to like rearrange that into some weird nonsense word, it's not going <laughs> to, one, it's not going to make any sense. And also it's not going to actually look good because, um, the letters that I drew are meant to sort of interlock with each other and are custom for that specific circumstance. Totally. Yeah. How, how many, <laughs> can I ask a question? How many like lettering letterings have you done like system like a disease letterings have you done so how many typefaces have i made yeah i guess so yeah um i have probably drawn about maybe 10 alphabets or so but only three of them exist as typefaces because type typefaces are sort of way more than just the alphabets like if you actually open up a typeface or look in the glyphs palette in illustrator in design um you can see that it's far 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 more than 52 letters you know Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of other characters and um john tan and i gave a creative mornings when we were in vancouver and he like when that dude is a font of knowledge as well and he ended up sort of informing the crowd that there are 65,000 unicode uh glyphs essentially that you can take advantage of and there are some typefaces that try to do that but wow. for the most part like you know everything tends to really? be really because there's well, like I, little snowman dude character and there's like, so there's so many there's like a poop character i think <laughs> like i honestly think there is one it's steaming a little bit too yeah i think you're right i think you're right hmm. but for the most part people aren't putting poop glyphs into their typefaces so oh, maybe maybe i will in the future all the time, <laughs> all the time. secret character oh my god yeah. if i did it i would always at least put one in you know yeah that's or, so, but or that's, you know what you would do? This is how you would re- really nerd it up. You would make it a contextual alternate so that when you typed the word poop, that came in as a glyph. <laughs> Why am I not in this game? <laughs> <laughs> you chose oh the wrong God. career, Trent, Chris Coyer. In the chat room, I know you can't see this, but there's a smiley face poop character that Trent just posted in the... Are we gonna, can you could say poop in PG? Anyway. I think so. Okay. I, so far, so good. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if three-year-olds can say it, then we can say it online. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I can't stop looking at the smiley face version. Anyway, that's but that's just making a font, right? You've you've done way more, just like lettering one-off oh, stuff. Yeah, thousands absolutely. My thousands and thousands. My um, my clients folder is about three hundred folders deep, and within that, there's a, a, a number of repeaters. And then for every project, you know, it's I'm often not hired to draw just one thing. You know, if I get hired for an ad campaign, I might get hired to draw 15 different things. So um, I've actually been sort of recataloging and, and redoing my site secretly, as we all do once a year, and um, or whenever we have the opportunity to. And it's frustrating. Anyway, um, I, I have maybe like 150-something pieces online, and I think that ended up being about... Um, thirteen hundred images, and that's just like the curated bunch. So there's still an, an additional like fifty or sixty projects that I haven't put up yet. So it gets pretty crazy. <laughs> no kidding. No wonder you have an intern. 
Well, well, I mean, I sort of have an, today I have an intern this weekend, <laughs> but she's, uh, she, she's like this really fun 19 year old that's coming in and was just like, I just want to come hang out. And I was like, cool. I like that. Yeah. So <laughs> for the most part, interns don't get to help me too much. They get to do a lot of the stuff that I hate doing, like going to the post office and things like that. I tell yeah. them ahead of time though. So they know, but yeah, either way. So, okay, let's see. Let's see. There's so much to talk about. Speaking of, so I want to go see Moonrise Kingdom. Does anybody, yeah, do we, do we, I don't know. How do, how do we announce that? Jessica, you did a ton of, that's like, a, like the coolest project ever, if you ask me. Yeah, no, if you ask me too, that was the coolest project ever. So I, um, for people that don't know, I was hired to do the title design for Wes Anderson's most recent movie, Moonrise Kingdom. And it was absolutely the coolest project ever. And I was like spending every waking moment kissing their feet so they'll hire me again because it was just a really great process. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah, weird. I was like, you guys are great. I'll, of course, do any revision you want at 5 a.m. No problem while I'm on vacation. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, oh, that was mention, It's an awesome movie. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say that's so cool you got to do that. I, I, I can't imagine like doing anything for a Wes Anderson thing if he was like hey could you build this thing on dot net i would be like yes please let me <laughs> just, yeah, exactly I don't can even you know. please restart your career and come back as a flash designer but only for banner ads yeah you'd be like you'd be like i don't know but you're wes anderson <laughs> yes, please. i might draw the line there but anything yeah. else well so the million dollar question is a did you make a million dollars and b did you meet bill murray uh, no to both answers. Uh, did you mean? I'm sure that I'm sure that you guys know this. Whenever you work for cool things, you don't make millions of dollars <laughs> because the competitive, like every, it's so competitive to like actually, like everybody wants to work on it. Mm. But um, I can say that they paid me a respectable but not amazing fee. That's so. I didn't... For, for what it was, I was I was completely happy with it, and really the the thing that um, I was most stoked about is that it's so rare that you get to work with a client that you really believe has the complete best intentions, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're getting those endless revisions that they don't have some like cost analysis person trying to justify the fact that, that you charge more than everybody else, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. So really it was just, it was just amazing because of that, because anytime that revisions came in, which there were plenty of them. Um, and you know, he's, he's as much of a perfectionist as you'd imagine, but when you're working with someone that, you know, like just has their heart in it and just needs it to like, it's their vision. Like you just bent over backwards for them. Absolutely. That's cool. Well, and being just one step closer to Bill Murray on the Kevin Bacon chart is <laughs> yes, absolutely. Worth it's weight in gold. I think. Though I feel like he crashed some like random parties in, in Brooklyn at some point that I had friends that were at. And so I feel like that's sort of closer. I can't decide. Even closer. Definitely. So not to mention, it's also an awesome movie. So everybody go yeah. see it. I, I think it's my favorite one. I think it's better than Tenenbaums. <gasps> oh, my God. Sacrilege. Hot Dude. drama here. Hold on. I, it's breaking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you pull that up, like, just for me? Because I watch a shit ton of Law & Order. Oof, I <laughs> um, well, no. Uh, we have a soundboard here weekly on the, the Shop Talk show. But uh, we love hot drama. And that one was just for you. I I love I love Law and Order as well. Watched a lot of it. Yep. Yeah. Well, I have. I mean, people. I watch a lot of TV while I work because a lot of the work that I do is sort of just pure execution based. 
And cool. people just don't understand how you could do that. But when you're not like trying to figure junk out in JavaScript or something, and instead you're just like plotting points, it's so easy to put up like crappy action movies and lots of law and order. But the reason why they're awesome is because all you have to do is look up during the dun-duns. <laughs> what just happened? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Because it's always like, I mean, it doesn't take too much brain power to watch like Ice-T go like, I'm going to take you down to the station. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. It's I think like, really we should just reenact, like, or like do this <laughs> all in various voices from SVU. <laughs> the S- SVU radio show. I, can I call? Yeah. Can I be uh, what Belzer? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> Benson. Oh, oh yeah, Benson. There you go. Uh, well, okay. So we should maybe move on, Chris. Okay. You think? Sure. So yeah. So well, I mean, we talked a lot about lettering, but Jessica is also. What you may have maybe said before, a secret web designer, although not very that secret anymore because you have so many websites that you've designed, right? That- Indeed, but, I, but it's secret enough that random clients don't come to me and say, hey, will you make the website for my baking company, you know, for the most part? <laughs> yeah, good. So <laughs> hopefully that doesn't increase after, shop, after the literally 20s of people listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most of your crowd is is not looking to hire me as a web designer. They're probably doing their own web design. <laughs> uh, good point. Uh, okay, yeah, let's let's move. Oh, so we got a we got a couple of links to scoot through because there's some interesting things happened in the last week, and then we have, of course, a whole bunch of question and answer stuff. I wanted to mention a couple of things just because. I don't know. This is the this is this is this is my show too, right? Yes, I released. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a new web app that you guys should check out called CodePen, CodePen.io, like input-output. It's kind of like, um, as I was kind of pitching it to people, it's kind of like JS Fiddle plus Dribble. So it's like you build cool stuff with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and then you can kind of explore it. So there's the social layer of being able to follow other developers you like and commenting on stuff and harding it to remember later and exploring and finding other cool stuff. But it's all, instead of screenshots, it's all live code stuff. So people, if you haven't heard of it yet, please check out CodePen. I think it's pretty neat. I, I love it. It's great, Chris. Good job on it. Thank you. And I'm doing uh, the, just the other thing I feel compelled to mention because it's like it was a big week for me this week. This uh, this Monday or Sunday, I think I I started doing a Kickstarter. I'm going to redesign CSS tricks and I'm going to screencast every little last bit of the thing. And I was like, you know, that would be pretty cool. I'm going to see if I can launch it on Kickstarter and give only the people who uh, supported me on Kickstarter access to all those videos. And it's doing super well. I've got like ten times the amount of funding that I wanted already, and it's only been a couple days. So I'll. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. If you want in on this super screencasting adventure, ooh, heck like yeah! Start- I will tweet that. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I'm pretty pretty pleased with how it turned out. I put my dog in the video, and I feel like that got me at least half of the. I doubled down once I saw the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, right, hey, I got a, I got a story. Uh, this one is from at idiot on Twitter. Uh, version control walks into a bar. Get out of here, says the bartender. <laughs> no waka waka. Waka 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 waka. Hey. How's that? That. 
It's pretty decent. I, it's a it's a struggle, but I'm working on a new one. So hope next week. Uh, next what week. The... <laughs> <laughs> you had some linkies for us, Dave. What was some interesting things that happened this week in the world of web stuff? Well, uh, quite a a few things. So the first thing I maybe want to talk about is the Filament Group, who we've no doubt mentioned before, and we had Matt Marquis on the show. A couple episodes ago, but the Filament Group uh, released a library, like a collection of responsive web design tools, like kind of advanced RWD tools uh, to to make sure that you are serving the smallest website first, and then you build up on that. That's kind of how all these things uh, sort of work together. And it's called South Street, and it's up on GitHub. We'll post a link. Cool name. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just like. This is what we do. We're South Street. It's a rap group. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so South Street is pretty awesome, uh, and I just started playing with it. But um, it, it's cool. It's like a collection of scripts they use on all their projects, like the Boston Globe and all that. So pretty awesome. Stretch. Also, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. There's a. How are any of your projects? Do you do the responsive thing on any of them, Jessica? Oh, almost all. Well, not almost all of them. All the new ones. Yeah, a lot of the, right. A lot of the older yeah. ones, not so much. That's cool. And I suppose it's kind of, you know, everything you... I mean, if you do, like, some really nice lettering thing for something. Like, if you go to jessicahish.is/awesome, there's this giant background image and a really cool welcome in the bottom right corner of it. That's the kind of thing that we talked about in the Mark Marquis episode. Though, if you load this baby up on an iPhone, there's probably some images that like look awesome on the desktop that are probably like bigger than they need to be on a phone. So that's the kind of thing that South Street is all about. Is I mean, it's not specifically for images, but it's for you know resources and and serving the right stuff to the right device kind of thing. Indeed, I'm using Backstretch on my homepage. Nice. Is that some plugin thing that does magical? I think I saw it on Nas's site at some point or somebody else's and totally jacked it. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, that works great. Cool. And also uh, worth mentioning WebKit, like Canary, I believe, got got variables, CSS variables. So that's something that's going to happen in the near future. But it's sort yeah. of a weird syntax. but could be cool for the internet. It is weird. I feel like I should have read the conversations because I wonder what, I wonder in what world that it was a good idea to do it the way they did it and not the way that either less or SAS does it. You know, did they have some reason? What was the conversation like? I think just for backwards compatibility and failing, but that's about it. So I don't know. I'm not sure where they're going with that. Anyway. Done. I put under the hot drama section that PayPal.com redesign. Never thought we'd see the day. Did you? People? It's pretty nice. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even signed in yet. And now I'm looking forward to well, it. Well, if you sort sign of. in, it's all gone. It's only the <laughs> it's only the front end. It's a thin veneer. <laughs> Which it is. It's very thin. <laughs> but it's pretty nice. And, and I'm sure I'm sure the designers that work there are, are like, the, you know, like kind of bummed out because everybody's always hating on PayPal. But clearly they have they employ at least a couple of decent designers. And uh, I don't know. And they got this done, which was yeah. probably a result of like 700 meetings. And I, I have a friend who works at PayPal Austin. I won't say his name because I don't want him to get fired. But <laughs> he was saying that. 
everything takes forever. Like you commit code and it'll go into production like seven months later or something like that. So like, it's pretty serious. I mean, and it makes sense. Like if you break PayPal, that's, (laughs) that's a big deal. Um, so you can't like needlessly break PayPal, but, uh, yeah. So pretty monumentous for PayPal to redesign anything in my opinion with such a big corporate structure. It looks prettier than it's relevant. There's like this picture of this couple sitting on a dock looking out into the mountains. It's like it just it literally could be anything. You could just put any image there and it would <laughs> Yeah, nothing. that's true. It it could, you know, it could be a site for like Jackson Hole, <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> but it's cool. I I like it. All right, questions and answers. I picked these questions out specifically because I thought they would most, like, you know, that we would have something to say about, or that Jessica might be able to have some input into these particular questions. And we have a couple that were directed right towards Jessica that we'll get to that are pretty great questions. Let's start out with this one, though, from Josh Higgins. Recently, I've started moving away from my first love, which is print and web design, and started doing front-end development. I work with a team who are more talented than myself in the design and work well with a creative tandem, though they do all the pixel pushing. I find that coding the coding comes easier to me than the design does. I feel like I'm not contributing enough to the process or that I'm doing the easy part in executing those designs. Have you guys ever felt this way? Should I keep honing my design skills so I can get better at that? Or should I keep focusing on my development efforts? Oh, kind of a weird position Josh is in, isn't it? He's got some partners. They're better than he is at design. So I think that if you're like a designer front-end person, you end up doing a lot more design than you think that you do. You know, like if, if, if someone's handing you over designs and you're helping them to implement them, like you're still making some decisions along the way that, you know, help to shape the design of it. Because, you know, if you've ever worked with someone that is like purely front end, you have to be so explicit when you work with them as a designer, because, you know, like little tiny things to us are like, or like little tiny things to them are huge things to us. So I think that as a designer, and front-end developer, you end up being able to actually, like, use a lot, like, like subtly infuse a lot of your own design opinions into layouts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And it, so if these guys only do, let's say, Photoshop comps or whatever, do they, do they code every single hover state and active state and do they deal with the with the responsive stuff and maybe maybe that should be your contribution josh is and what about the you know ux of it all you know the the like the other the other word for responsive like can you make it fast and can you do, do all these other things i don't you know just because it comes easily to you maybe they would feel the exact opposite way around and if they were in the position where they you know we're, we're having to do the coding part that the design would come easy to them, but the coding would be really hard. I mean, just because you happen to be good at it, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. Yeah, don't throw things away that you're good at just because they, they seem easy. Like sometimes, especially when it comes to like complex client jobs and stuff when you're working on these big teams with lots of personalities, like really embrace the fact that something comes easy because the rest of the process is not easy. <laughs> good point. And hey, keep hanging out with these guys too. I'd tell you, Josh. I mean, if you if you really like their design work and they're good, and you guys are doing good work, <laughs> stick around. 
definitely. I was going to say I've met a lot of people who are kind of they they're like designer coder hybrids, and they're making the transition to just being you know front end coders. And I think a lot of people share that same like feeling, like I'm just like taking the easy way out or something like that. Uh, but I I wouldn't feel that way. There's the front end is a hot space, so if you can be good at it, you can get a lot of work. Uh, from you know friends like designers who can't code, and then I, I think it's a pretty sweet deal. So I, I wouldn't feel like shamed like you're only doing I don't know like you're not being a real creative because code is poetry. So uh, nice sentiment at the bottom of all automatic websites. Yeah, <laughs> code is poetry. I, it's just I yeah I get like. That's all I do is like front end coding. I love it. So you're basically a poet, <laughs> is what you're saying. I'm a poet, poet, poemist for a living. <laughs> I make poetic websites. There has to be a way to combine the word code and poet into some terrible hybrid word. <laughs> I don't, don't do and it. And that should be on your business card. Coet, <laughs> coet. I'm a code. I'm. I'm a, I said I'm, no to it. I'm a pod. I should probably get on these business cards. Moo.com. Here we go. Click, click, click. Uh, what does Neil Hainsworth have to say? Neil Hainsworth writes in saying, Recently, I have been having trouble pricing for clients. I have mainly been doing work for people for free. Money is a sensitive subject, and I can't seem to find info on site pricing. Am I not looking hard enough? The sites I do are main, mainly small portfolio sites for artists that are made through WordPress. Apologies if I'm breaking some industry code I'm not aware of. Dun, dun. I wonder if there was some a... kind of resource where he could look and see if he should work for free or not. <laughs> oh, I wonder if there is that resource. <laughs> I, I made a website. Should I work for free dot com? Is that the whole? Um, it's literally a URL. Should that I is work the for URL. Free? All all of my URLs are sentences, pretty much. Like they're the most untweetable things ever, but it doesn't matter because I think they're funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I've had a number of people direct clients to there, um, essentially to sort of nudge them in the direction of paying them. <laughs> Which is why I made a non-swearing version as well, so that you can show that one to my <laughs> Nice. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you shouldn't... Don't work ever work for free, even if it's for your best friend ever. I, I have some good advice about when people actually do have no budget or if it is your best friend. Um, when you do work at a, at a giant, giant discount, um, always tell people what they should be paying. So when you invoice them or when you put together that proposal, like give them the, the budget for the, the actual project and then subtract the random you're my best friend in the world slash you owe me beers for the rest of your life discount. And then all of a sudden you'll have a number at the bottom that's more digestible for them. But they'll always have the first number in mind, which really makes them treat you differently. If you knew that you were hiring someone for $1,000 that normally works for $10,000, you would treat them more like a $10,000 person rather than like a $1,000 person. 
So it's, it's all about sort of like establishing what your value is and what you're willing to do for them because you believe in their product or because you're friends with them or because you just, you know, are that hungry for work. It doesn't matter. Um, but establishing that as your original value helps in the future too, because if they rehire you, you're not like the discount person forever. You're the person that they gave an initial discount to because it was the first time you worked with them or because they owed you something or whatever. Um, so then when they try to come to you in the future, you have a higher value. I love it. Maybe you should just do it all the time then. Like every client. <laughs> be like, this should be a hundred million dollars. But, but I like your shoes. So yeah. <laughs> that's good. I actually heard that on the BizCraft podcast, the new podcast with Gene Crawford and and um is it Carl, Carl Smith? Smith. Yeah. yeah. Uh but they were talking like always include discounts on your invoice. Like if you're giving any kind of discount, like show them the price it costs and then write some discount. So that's cool to hear you say that independently of that advice. Oh yeah, totally. It makes a big difference too. And like, I mean, you know how it is when you work with people that you actually like working with, you don't stick to those contracts a hundred percent when they ask for that 10th round of revision, you don't say like, you know, Oh my God, well, we're already, you know, you owe me X amount. Um, because you know that they're not doing it to be dicks, like you know, <laughs> and you t- you tend to forgive when people go a little above board, or you t- or also like if you ever do a job and it does go a little bit easier than you thought it would be, like everyone appreciates that in the end, you know, if you can subtract five hundred dollars off the price, just be like, oh yeah, this was easier than I thought it would be. I look forward to working with the future. Here's five hundred dollars off your cost. You know, that's also like kind of a fun surprise when they're invoicing you, which can be such like a painful process. Uh, one thing I do is whenever friends are like, Hey, I want to talk to you about making a website. I'm like, the first thing I say is cool. I'm really expensive. <laughs> like that's so, uh, yeah, we should talk, you know, but usually it's like, you should sign up for verb or something verb. like that. And why don't they sponsor us? I love verb. It would be cool. But that's, that's another approach you can do is like the first thing out of your mouth is say you're hourly and just say, this is how much I am. So. Uh, and as far as pricing yourself, Neil, I, there's a lot of freelance calculators and stuff like that um, out on the internet. But I'm working on it. Oh app. yeah. So for Neil's question, yeah, dude. I, you know, like, okay, you're you're working for real clients, so stop working for free because that's a little ridiculous. I'm sure even Jessica's chart would tell you not to do that in in most of the cases that you're in. And he's just in saying, all of the cases. About- <laughs> <laughs> Money is a sensitive subject, he says. Well, you know. I don't know. You're going to have to get over it at some point. Otherwise, otherwise freelance is just going to be too hard for you. Probably at some point you have to realize, Hey, I do work just like a carpenter does work. He doesn't have trouble asking for money. Why do I have to be, have trouble asking for money? And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, the, the, the main thing is like when you come up with a, a, an hourly rate or a day rate that you're happy with. And when you tell that to someone, don't tell it to them apologetically. Don't be like, Oh, I'm sorry, but this is what I cost. Like you have to own it. And that like, so I, I always like sort of equate it to the complete awful girls in high school. Like they might've been terrible, but they owned it and no one cared because they did like, or like you had, you have a friend that was constantly three hours late whenever you invited them to something, but it didn't matter because they were consistent and they owned it. So like, if you, if you make it into this thing where it's like, it's not, this isn't a big deal. This isn't me trying to screw you over. This is me telling you what I cost. And if you're not okay with that, I'm totally fine to recommend a service that's cheaper or a person that's cheaper or whatever. 
And, and people definitely appreciate when you can delegate when you're actually like not appropriate for the job too. Fuck yeah. Call it a hundred bucks, Neil. Call it a hundred bucks an hour. You're just starting out. That seems fair. You know, I don't know. I'm working and then, on, and then work it up from there. I'm working on an algorithm where you like double your age and then you double the number of, it's going to be a cool one. It'll never, it'll never top the like, um, how young can you date algorithm though? Oh, that's the, like my favorite one. What it, half, half your age plus seven. Yep. It works in every occasion. In every occasion. And the beauty is no one can date anyone under the age of like 14. Yeah, not even 15-year-olds. It's. I mean, it, I think 15-year-olds can. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. I love 22 it. 22 and a half, ladies. <laughs> you can uh, kickstart Chris's <laughs> kickstart. <laughs> is that an innuendo? We should keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Scott Little asks, is there an easy way to add anti-aliasing to font faces on the web? I am The one I'm using looks perfect on Chrome on Mac, but jagged and sketchy on Chrome on Windows. Is there no CSS option? Text shadow didn't work. You know, there's that old trick of whatever. Um, but yeah. Is there some good JS alternative? Thanks. So Scott wants to know, is fonts look like crap on Windows and nice on Mac? What's the deal, well, man? The deal is that they use different text rendering engines so on Windows than they do on Mac. So you actually have to hint typefaces for Windows. So if you're using sort of crappy typefaces that haven't been hand-hinted, which is hinting is just telling the, um, the screen which pixels to turn on and off when you get to tiny sizes. So like big type is always going to look pretty good. Um, but when you get really tiny, if it's not hinted, um, on windows, a lot of like the fins will just completely blow out and stuff like that. Or, you know, the weights will be kind of shifted in a funky way, or you will get a lot of that jaggedness. Um, what I can say is that until, until there, I, I don't think there's any short solution now. It's, it's just a, an issue with how windows renders type, which is meant to, to actually, some people really prefer that. Some people prefer it being crisper and then, you know, um, Chrome and Safari and you know, well, Windows or uh, Mac in general smooths does a lot of text smoothing. Um, but the the thing that I can really advise on is make sure that you're using typefaces that are really well made, and it won't be as much of an issue on Windows. And um, also, if you use typefaces that tend to be a little, if you, if it really bugs the heck out of you, like if it's making you crazy, um, if you use typefaces that are drawn a little bit more geometrically as in they don't have like random little curves at the you know at the baseline and the cap height you know where it's it's meant to be more straight those will look nicer on windows anyway because they're just going to like hit the pixels instead of um you know bumping above or below uh what the pixels are on that line so choosing which font is a big deal too not it's a huge deal it's a huge deal and and a lot of people especially the thing about text type is that it takes a while before you appreciate it when you start thinking about type and and becoming a geeky designer you really geek out about the um you know the the big display stuff because it's sexier Uh, and it takes a while to sort of understand all the little subtleties in text type and why that is actually the thing that you should start with when you make a website you know, when you start designing a website, start with the thing that you have the most of. It's the same thing when you're designing a book. You know, you want to design the cover if it's a you know a picture book, or you want to or you want to design the interior first rather um, if it's a picture book because that's going to be the content. You want to design for the content, not design for like the splashy big front thing. You know. Mm. 
So yeah, there's a few. So there, uh, TypeKit has been doing good things. Um, WebType is a is a really really good one if you care a lot about cross browser stuff. Um, they don't host all these crazy sexy typefaces that um, TypeKit does. So you know, I, I recommend using multiple services if you're using web fonts. Um, but WebType is really good for text type, and they offer um, you know certain ones that are meant for really tiny sizes and have been hand hinted. And they're just like an engine of nerds that churn out a lot of you know really really nice looking, but also really really well made typefaces. I feel like I had a bead on what all the major services were for this, and I have never seen this one. Out of the loop. Well, it's 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 well, it's mostly because all the other ones are sort of run by web designers, and this one's run by type designers. You know, oh, so a really? lot of a lot of the other. I mean, that's not necessarily true either. Like, um, you know, Font Shop does web fonts. My fonts does web shop, web fonts. Um, John Tan's thing, which I'm blanking on right now, does web fonts, um, and. I mean, everybody has their own services, and they're, you have to remember that they're hosting Foundry's typefaces. So a lot of them do a little bit of that, you know, sort of making it good for screen work for for them. Um, but they can't do it by hand, like how the Foundry's can, because it's just too expensive. So they have to sort of automate some of it. Um, so a typeface, one, has to be really well-drawn, has to be well-spaced, has to, you know, a lot of times be drawn at these optical sizes so that you can use a different typeface for tiny type as you do for, you know, even medium sized types. Something that's, that would be like 22 pixels might be a completely different typeface than something that's at 14 pixels. So, um, there's just like so much nerdiness that goes into it. So that's why I'm sort of happy that I get to talk about it at conferences and stuff like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That and that's really is another reason, like you may want to pay for a font service because Generally, oh, I, know, I know like Typekit, they have hinters on staff who will fix fonts for, for people. And so as uh, dumb as it sounds, I, I'm very, I, I was, when Typekit came out, I was like, that's stupid. I, I think that's dumb. <laughs> why Did would you I, really? I, I was like, why would I ever pay? And then Maybe I talked. you a hater. I'm such a, same with responsive, but I, I, I do this like totally bipolar thing where I hate it. And then I'm like, man, maybe. And then I'm like, that's so stupid. And then I'm well, like, this is, it's a really common perception because the, the software for fonts is like just this little file. And we're so used to passing them around and sharing them. And a lot of people don't think about the people that make it. So, you know, most type foundries are just individual people. So imagine if you spent two years on some crazy plugin and it was the only thing that you worked on. And then literally no one wanted to pay for it because they're like, why would I pay for this? It's a plugin. I can get every plugin I ever want on GitHub, you know? So it's, it's one of those things like there's no government program or there's no like grant that gives money to, you know, disenfranchised type designers to make beautiful things. You know, it's one of those things they have to put, they have to put the time in. And the only way to really um, make sure that they're able to make things in the future is to support them now while they're making stuff that you like. So if you like type designer, chances are you'll like future work from them. And if you don't buy their typefaces now, they might not be able to sustain themselves in the future and make more typefaces that you like. So, awesome. so Scott, I think to sum it up, use good quality fonts. And yes, and don't awesome. and don't don't completely get rid of the sort of defaults just because you're tired of them too. Like sometimes, like Georgia is really well made and still looks really good. And sometimes, you know, if you, if 98% of the people that you, that you're working with are using, you know, <laughs> you know, really old 
browsers and versions of um, Internet Explorer on crappy Windows machines, it still looks good on that. And because that that typeface was drawn by Matthew Carter, who's like one of the like preeminent geniuses in the typeface field. And there are, you know, other typefaces similar to it in terms of like the quality of them, but they're also, you have to pay for them. (laughs) So it's okay. Like sometimes you can use the ones that are already available because they are really, really well made. Yep. Holler. One of our sponsors this week is Environment, or our only sponsor this week. Thank you, Christopher Schmidt and Ari. They run like a organization that just throws tons of conferences. I think I said once, I doubt that anybody has thrown more web conferences than they have, just because they do. I don't know. There's like I don't know ten a year or something like that at least. So there's one coming up called CSS Summit. We mentioned it last week because both me and Dave and Nicole Sullivan were going to be there. I have a oh Trent's going to be there too. Yeah, nice. Um, Right. So CSSSummit.com for that one. But this one, this is even better. Hold on, I have to bring up the website to remind myself of all the awesome details. Incontrolconference.com. Why is that? He said he emailed me and said it was up, and now it's not loading. Oh, there it goes. Guess where it is? Hawaii, right? Who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? Guess who's going to be there? Dave Rupert. Dave Rupert's going to be there. Guess who else is going to be there? Me, Chris Coyer. I'm going to be there. And guess who's keynoting the dang thing? Oh, she happens to be on this podcast right now. Jessica will be there, too. All three of us, we're going to be at In Control Hawaii. Oh, heck yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, we're totally gonna be groove dogging on some waves, bra. <laughs> I wanna totally wanna surf. Can you surf for the first time in Hawaii or will you die? I'm positive they have things where you can surf for the first time. You just have to go to like really sort of lame coves and junk like that. Uh I'm in lame cove. Anyway, we're gonna be there. We're gonna be talking about stuff. I think I'm gonna stick around and do a workshop afterwards. But how can you not want to go there? You have plenty of time. It's December second through the fourth in Honolulu, Hawaii. And so yeah, I don't know. Come. You I don't think we come. have any discount for you or anything this time, but you don't need it because it's expensive to go to Hawaii. So start saving your bucks right now because I want to see everybody who listens to the show there. We'll have a shop talk show party there. Party. Yeah. In, it's incontrolconference.com. Okay, more stuff. Nick Snyder <laughs> says, I am a huge Jessica Hish fan here. I had a few questions for her. Uh, let's see. Let's see. He did have a bunch. I'm just going to do a couple because we don't want to capitalize on it. What are the easiest letters to get started with? If he's, he wants to be a letter, as somebody who's going to get into lettering, what are the easiest letters to start with? Do you think like that? Like, um, it, I think I think you don't really think like what are the easiest letters, but when you start drawing, uh, it depends on what you're after. Um, there are certain letters that say a lot about what the rest of the letters will look like. So um, I just have I have an intern this week, and and I'm just kind of giving her exercises because I don't have anything that she can actually work on. So um, she I had her draw an H and an O yesterday. And when you draw H's and O's, the reason why they're sort of good to start with or why they can be um, good as early letters to start with is because there's two verticals and uh, like two straight stems and then two round edges. So when you're drawing, you know, you can sort of figure out what your rounds are going to look like. You can figure out what your, you know, how wide the letters are going to be and whatnot. Mm. But 
you know, I think, I think the, the first thing to do when you want to start doing lettering is to just look at a ton of it. Just look at lots and lots and lots of lettering. Um, cause the big thing is you don't really have an excuse to just stare at letters most of the time, like to really stare at them. Like when you, when you take a, an A or something and trace it in Illustrator, you spend so much more time studying those, like the way that the person before you drew those curves and stuff and, and really just pick up a lot of information just from spending that much time with the letter. So I, I think that it's actually a really great exercise to trace um, people's work that you like as long as that work never becomes public because you get to learn a lot about what they have learned from other people while drawing. Um, I also recommend, you know, doing that with um, typefaces, but of course, you know, all of this is just whatever you do for practice is not what gets shown on the internet because then people copy you and actually steal from you and stuff like that, and that's not the best. Um, but when type, when type designers first start drawing um, typefaces, they start with the word hamburger font sieve. Mm. So Whoa, really? Yeah, it's a crazy One word. Time. I'll type it into the chat room, actually. So okay. if you're in the chat room, you can see it. Okay. Hamburger. <laughs> font Now sieve. you got me thinking about hamburgers. <laughs> Holy cow. So the reason why you start with that is because the um, the lowercase a and the g say a lot about what a typeface is. So okay. whether whether it's like um, a two-story a, like how it is in the chat room, um, or like the g in there is actually a single-story g. So this typewriter font is sort of interesting because you know it uses like an old-school a and then kind of a new-school g. Um, but yeah, you can you can learn a lot about what each of the individual letters are that way, and then also um, you know you start to see sort of the repetition in in shapes between all the different letters. But all that said, like the the first thing that people sort of do when they start doing lettering is that they think that absolutely everything is symmetrical, um, which it is not. So if you spend a lot of time looking at type and looking at other people's lettering work, you'll start to see that people make a lot of um, choices based on just kind of how things look optically. Or you know how things work together in the scheme of things, and and that um, you know it's it's very surprising to see how wonky things are and not symmetrical just because people made stylistic choices or made choices to make it optically look better. That's so, yeah, true. that's cool. That was a long answer. Sorry. Hey, no. <laughs> uh, he, I guess, his second part of his question was like, do you just create like individual letters or the anatomy of the typeface and i guess you're saying you kind of build out this kind of i don't know you do you feel like you're building ingredients when you when you i do i do feel like i'm building ingredients and i think that happens more the further into your career you get because when you first start out you're looking at sort of like the big picture of different things that you're into so you're like i'm gonna draw a black letter but or I'm going to draw a script, but you don't actually, you're looking at a specific reference rather than looking at the components that make up that reference. So the more you learn about all different ways to draw letters and the more you learn about type, the easier it is to sort of think of everything in terms of ingredients instead of thinking it in terms of like this final product, which is really, really freeing because it's almost like you have instant brainstorming built in when you start a new project. So there's sort of three levels when you're drawing um, when you're drawing letters. One is the skeleton, which is sort of just like if you took any letter under the sun and just drew a line with a pen or something on top of it to show like what the actual structure of the letter is. That's the skeleton. So a lot of that has to do with like 
how how uh, wide the letter is. You know, is it condensed or is it extended? Um, stuff like that, like where the you know where you're putting the crossbars and stuff, which can have a big effect on like how things kind of feel. And then on top of that is the body or like the fat of the or the meat or whatever you want to describe it as, which is all like the thick and thinness. So, you know, a lot of that will vary depending on what size you're drawing at. If it's going to be a display typeface, you can go really thin with the fins. But if it's a text typeface, it has to be sort of pretty even, the contrast between the thicks and thins. Um, so that's why when you take a text typeface and you blow it up really big, it looks super horsey. It's because it's not meant to be blown up really big. There's probably a display version of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the... Uh, and the last one is the clothes, which are stuff like serifs and little decorative ornaments, which aren't necessary to like the actual structure of the of the type, but do give it a lot of character. And so that's when you see like if you look at certain typefaces might come in super families, which is sort of like a new a newish thing where you can get a sans serif and a serif version of the same typeface. Um, and what that is is one version doesn't have clothes on, one's naked and one's not. <laughs> So yeah, it's very, it's very much like sort of an exquisite corpse whenever you work, uh, you know, just based on the things that you feel like working with. Sometimes certain serifs feel very specific to a time frame. You know, sometimes, um, you know, a width might be appropriate for one project, but not for another project. And, and you can completely change how, how lettering feels or how type feels just by adjusting a couple of these components. That's, that's awesome. That's very, that's cool. It's, like object oriented type design. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> as terrible as that might be. So Oh well, shall we move on, Chris? Is Chris still here? I'm still here. Okay, Chris. Where do you want to take us? Where do you want to take us? Uh, we have a uh, take us on a journey. Uh, we have a question from a fellow from Egypt here, Ahmed Badaway. When I make my designs color looks how do i make my designs look look good on all monitors he's asking he has, he has two monitors one is a big big uh, 1920 pixel monitor one's slightly smaller i bet he sets them right next to each other right like a lot of us do my designs colors look a lot different between them i don't know how my designs look on other people's monitors you know because he knows they're different between his own two monitors who knows how they look on other people's? how do i make sure my designs colors look good everywhere Mm. My thoughts about um, color are that, like, when you're doing a design, it's almost better to work with a super, super limited color palette so that you focus less on big picture stuff or, like, you know, you focus less on the on stuff like color and more on the actual design elements, you know, more on the layout and more on the type you're choosing and more on the way that images are handled and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I prefer to show things to clients without any color whatsoever at first because if you show a client a, a site design or any sort of design, a logo design, you know, in color and you show three different options, if you show one in, that happens to be in their favorite color, they're going to pick that one. Not because they love the design, but because it's in their favorite color. So if you chose thing, if you, if you design early on, if the, if the early comps that you do are not in color, you'll have this really solid foundation of the design first and then the color will make less of a difference. Um, in terms of like color on different screens, I mean, there's not really much, there's not a whole lot that you can do about that. I, I've always heard you have to make sure your color profile in Photoshop is right. Like always use sRGB because um, that's what the internet uses. 
Uh, As like a color profile when you're saving Yeah, that. yeah. You, yeah, but if, I mean, people have, if people have screens that are calibrated differently, then it's always going to be a little funky, you know, because yeah, they, totally. they can mess with it. Or if it's an old screen that just happens to be... Yeah, I have my suspicion is that this guy's big monitor probably looks great, and the little one probably looks like crap. And he's, you know, you know, uh, and so make it look good on the monitor that looks good. Move it over to the one that looks bad. And if there's something that's really becomes unclear or weird, or because it's like grayscaled out or something, you may need to tweak it. But don't like penalize the good monitor and make it look worse because it looks better on the on the crappy monitor. Oh, design for the nice monitor, and then just make sure it's tenable on the crappy one. Yeah, you can go crazy in losing your hair. Like if you try to like make all your monitors be perfectly calibrated all the time and all that. It's mm. I I noticed uh, like whenever I if I open. So I have a laptop with a screen attached to it, like an outboard screen. If I'm using like my laptop and then I plug in my big monitor, well, in a, I didn't close anything out. Like all my colors in Google Chrome look weird, or all in any browser because it's using the old color profile it had when it launched. It's so weird, but uh, yeah. Well, a big a big thing to think about is making sure that all of your values make sense. You yeah. know, like, because if, if the color shifts a little bit, it's not a big deal. But if you're working in similar values across the whole site, if the color shifts, it, shifts, it can be a really huge deal. And all of a sudden, stuff just doesn't show up. Like, you just can't see it. So always make sure that there's a good amount of contrast um, when you're working with color. Like, don't use two colors of the same exact value next to each other. For one thing, like, you should always check for uh, color blindness kind of stuff. And also, um, you know, if people do have kind of funky monitors or if their monitors are too dim or something like that, they might not um, be getting all the information that you're putting out there. Totes. Totes. Coop. Trent Coop. says, I, I like his comment up here. That's one hell of a rabbit hole you got there. <laughs> Colors, man. <laughs> I think you just got to let go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I... I want to say Trent, uh, like, bought, like, you know, there's, like, <laughs> spiders that you hang on your monitor to, like, calibrate and all that. And, uh, like, and we, because we had, like, we were, like, seeing different colors. It was weird. But, um, yeah. and I think we eventually sorted it, but, uh, you know, or, but it wasn't, like, perfect. It was just, like, okay, this is passable. So, and then there's a while, like, like, Max had different gammas than Windows monitors and all that, and uh, it's yeah, gamma what? Gamma what? <laughs> it was yeah, it's wild. I'll uh, good luck, good luck, Ahmed. Sorry we can't really help you, but maybe just just I don't know. Like like Jessica said, have a good kind of system of coloring. So. Let's see if we can squeeze two more in super quick, huh? Leon IVS is going to school at Full Sail University. Uh, he says down in Florida, which I happen to know is a pretty good, it's a pretty good one of those things. But he says it's an $80,000 degree program. And he's already a freelance web designer and a full-time employee for a web development company in Florida. And so people are, what does he say here? Some of my friends and family think I'm making a huge mistake. Of you know, already having these jobs and then and then maybe stopping them to go get this eighty thousand dollar degree. Uh, so my question is: Is being self taught enough not only to make a career but to advance one, or should I go for this program? Mm. What do you think? 
It's probably kind of like a portfolio school, I would think, right? Like they they well, send you. Yeah. Yeah. I think any any time that you go back to school when you already have something good going on, you either need like to completely revamp your portfolio, or you're really in need of like the connections to get stuff happening. You know, mm-hmm. if if you're happy with your job and you know have the ability to do the things that you want to do because you're working on side projects or whatever, like there's not really a need to go back to school. But if you're having a real issue you know, not only having a job that you enjoy and, you know, have some ability to, you know, sort of climb the ladder in, or at least, you know, further yourself. Um, or you just don't have the motivation because you're not surrounded by awesome creative people all the time to, you know, do the things that you want to do as side projects. I think that school makes, can make a lot of sense. Well, Leanne here is already enrolled, so there must be something going on. You know, you don't just do that randomly. I wonder if, I wonder what, what the motivation is exactly. I bet they're not entirely happy or, or have bigger dreams. Just well, and also, too, that classroom environment is so awesome, and it's so hard to get in real life. So really, if, you, if you're if you back in school already and you're just looking for a reason to justify it, use the, the community that you're able to sort of pick their brains the entire time that you're there as the reason for being there. And you'll get to learn a lot from your professors, but really that, that environment is so awesome, and it's something that you don't really get as a professional. Uh, Jessica, have you been, did you major in art or, or anything of that nature or have you done any higher ed for what you do? Um, I went to, I have a BFA, um, in graphic design. So I went to school for graphic design originally and then sort of found my way via illustration into lettering. Cool. So, um, I don't personally plan on going back for a master's degree or anything like that. But it made a huge difference to my fiance. He went to the SVA IXD program mm. and he was doing web design and doing sort of fine, you know, like he worked at good companies and was getting freelance work, but he just wasn't really doing the stuff that he wanted to do in the future. And going back to school really made a huge difference with that. So as much as it, it was like an expensive two years, it was really worth it because it completely restarted the kind of work that he was doing. Cool. So worth it. I think it also. I have a friend who's getting a like a PhD in web sciences and studying abroad in the UK and all that. And you know, I'm like jealous. She's going to be like Doctor Internet, and I'm just going to be Uncle Dave. But like, I think it depends on what you want to do. If you want to like teach web stuff in an academic setting, then heck yeah, you have to go to you know get a degree in it. I think. Well, if you want to be a full time professor, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you could be like an adjunct, just come in and teach people stuff. Yeah. We can't answer your question for you, Leanne, but but hopefully that will give you some food for thought anyway. Uh, hopefully, last it'll one. Give you some ammu- hopefully it'll at least give you some ammunition to make your family stop bugging you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Make them, have them listen to Shop Talk, Joe. We could use a couple more listeners around here. Uh, Christopher Burton asks, how would... Waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't fast enough. Go ahead. Uh, how do you handle non-paying? Last one. How do you handle non-paying clients? Classic, right? I just figure you, I would mention this during the Jessica episode because you actually have clients. So do you, Dave, but I don't really, so I don't talk about this very much. How do you handle it? Well, I thankfully have I have a rep that handles a lot of my contracts. Um, when I first started, um, when I was 22 and I first started doing a lot of illustration freelance work, I ended up getting an illustration rep. And um, when we first started working together, he was bringing in a lot of the work. 
Um, but the further I kind of got into my career, the more people started coming to me just because, you know, I was sort of really putting myself out there online. So a lot of people come directly to me, but I still direct them to him to actually handle all the businessy stuff. So, um, a big thing for me is it's real. it's much easier to get paid when you're not the one shouting at the clients because there's this like air of professionalism that they sort of understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is make sure that the, the biggest way to get paid is to make sure that your contracts initially are bulletproof enough so that when, whenever they contest anything, you're like, um, but you did sign that paper saying that you would pay me this amount. You know, if you're working without contracts, it's really difficult to get paid when people don't want to pay you. And you should work with a contract no matter who you're working with, even if it's like your best friend. Um, and ju- and this is like what we were talking about earlier, make sure that you tell them that it's not a big deal. It's just how the business works. You know, you're not doing anything special for them. You're not doing anything. You're not trying to take advantage of them or do anything out of the ordinary. You're just running the way that the business is run. So I think having a really strong contract contract at the outset which doesn't have to be all lawyer speak and stupid and crazy. It can just be like a piece of paper that says, I'm doing this for you. You're paying me this for it, no matter whether or not you use it, you know? And if you have that, it's pretty bulletproof in terms of like getting paid. If they just downright refuse to pay you, even though you have a contract, you know, you can take legal action about that, but it, and it is very expensive to have to do that. So lowers the rate of having to do it because you set the right tone from the beginning. Yeah. And you can also publicly shame them is always something that you can do. <laughs> Maybe not the best philosophy. Not, yeah. the, not the best philosophy, but... That's better uh, than public sure. threats. Shame yeah. is, a better, is a better appeal than slash tires. Yeah. Uh, One thing no, I, don't, I don't recommend all that much excessive public shaming. That's a bad idea. But um, if you do have these, if you start off in a more professional zone, um, people treat you more professionally and do, and do pay you more uh, frequently. (laughs) And I would say, uh, like one thing we do is get money up front. Like don't start a project without having money. So that, that at least you're not totally up S Creek without a paddle, you know, if, yeah, if certainly, can... certainly for a bigger project, I'd definitely recommend that. If it's something small, if it's like, you know, a $500 or $1,000 job, it's sort of like, it can seem kind of funny to invoice people for half up front and half in the right. end. Right. Uh, but if it's going to be a long-term thing and, and you're talking a, a few thousand dollars, it's definitely worth doing. So if you have a non-paying client, the best ammunition is do it better next time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sort of. I mean, if you have a non-paying client and you never had a contract and everything was done in person and there's no actual record via, like through email of what they owe you and you know, you never said to them, hey, even though you're not using my logo on your site because you decided to use this really crappy logo that you had before, you still have to pay me for the work I did, then it's really, really difficult to get paid. And sometimes we all just have to like eat it when we messed up one time and you know, everybody has done that. I've definitely done that, so... There you go. There you go, Christopher. Good luck out there getting your money. But sometimes it doesn't work. So good luck. Uh, So I guess we'll wrap up the show here. Jessica, uh, one thing we like to ask is how can people find you on the Internet and give you money uh, if they would like to? (laughs) I'm very easy to find. Uh, My URL is jessicahish.is slash awesome. Uh, My Twitter handle is Jessica Hish. And so that's a J E S S I C A H I S C H E. And in terms of giving me money, I'm always up for new projects. And also I 
sell typefaces and all kinds of stuff in my store and in other places. So. Well, apparently, except cake. Except cake. I also accept cake <laughs> as a form of payment. Sometimes. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not for the next couple of months because I'm getting married and that would be detrimental to dress putting on. But well, after that. Unless it's <laughs> a wedding cake. Yeah. <laughs> you accept celery and <laughs> uh, that's that's a terrible prospect i don't think i would work very hard for salary <laughs> awesome well hey thank you so much for coming on the show is is very wonderful picking your brain about type and typefaces so thank you very much definitely it was great to be on uh for thanks everyone for showing up in the chat room really appreciate you guys listening live we actually hit our live limit listener like our live listener limit. So we'll have to upgrade that. Sorry about that. If you couldn't make it in, uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and yeah, follow us on Twitter at shop talk show, rate us up in iTunes. Give us five stars, five stars. You have to hit the five star button (laughs) before you can even like write anything. It's true. Uh, and yeah, Chris, you got anything to add? I don't know. Just, it's just, we'll see you next time. You guys shop talk show.com.